Hey everyone, this is Connor. Before we get started, I just want to encourage you to check out our Patreon, patreon.com slash podsidepicnic. If you become a patron, you'll get access to multiple exclusive episodes every month. And you can also join our patrons-only Discord chat, where Pete and I talk informally with the Podside Picnic community. So if you like the show, go ahead and check us out at patreon.com slash podsidepicnic. Thanks. Welcome back to Podsite, everyone. This is, of course, Carlo. And today it's just me, me and my friend Ty, returning champ, Ty Black, <laughs> returning. Not only just, I mean, it, it feels like only mere weeks ago, Ty, we were talking about like stuff for Graveside Picnic. And here we are back again to talk about, uh, I believe you had described this to me initially as one of the bleakest books Stephen King has ever written, and that is none other. It's uh, what is it, 2014's revival? Yep, revival. It just turned uh, nine years old uh, just uh, last week. Uh, take it down to the corner store and get it in ice cream, <laughs> as 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 they're wont to do at a, at the drop of a hat in Maine. Apparently, apparently. <laughs> I mean, uh, I don't know. Have you have you? Ever, well, I don't know if you've ever been there, but I have. Uh, and granted, I've been there in like on summer during summer months, which, you know, ice cream, there is lot. There are lots of ice cream places everywhere in Maine that I've been to. And uh, from what I understand, this is not simply a summertime thing either. People will go in the dead of winter and say, want some ice cream? <laughs> You're like, what? <laughs> what are you talking about? <laughs> the cold has finally gotten to gotten to their heads. Oh, geez. <laughs> well, who knows? Maybe it's cold enough that when you actually eat the ice cream, it feels warm in comparison. I don't know. <laughs> it's like a hot, cho like a hot chocolate. Um, yeah, if they, if they had like an actual warm cup of cocoa, it might actually kill them. You, you never know. Right? The, the temperature difference. But anyway, so um, so yeah, this is this is honestly, I, I gotta say, Ty. Um, so let me let me explain where I'm coming from and then we we could get into uh I, I think you had you had had some things to say uh previously uh offline before we recorded uh, about this book but where I'm coming from is I had I think like a lot of teenagers uh a huge streak of like just reading one after another king book uh you know like I think I think actually Carrie uh, was uh, a, a later read for me. And I was really sort of riveted by that. But I think I started like with Salem's Lot, uh, The Shining, the, uh, the, the Stand, the edited version. You remember that one? <laughs> I, I have not actually read The Stand because um, I'm just not, I'm not very big into post-apocalyptic stuff. But my my big teenage rebellion in my uh, fundamentalist household was sneaking Stephen King books uh, 
and when nobody was looking. So, uh, there you go. I mean, they, they, they are, it's, it's a, it's a, it's no mean feat to hide a Stephen King book behind a Bible. Cause it's like a, a supersized Bible, right? It would look like, like it's hiding a Bible inside another Bible to read it, you know? Uh, but, but what I, I guess what I'm getting at is that a lot of the latter uh, King stuff, I have not uh, really gotten into. Uh, I think the last one that I read of his that, I mean, apart from like on writing, which is not a fiction book. Um, I mean, there is a little bit of um, autobiographical stuff in it, but uh, it, you know, ostensibly it's not fiction. Um, I think the the last thing of his that I read was um insomnia and oh, wow. <laughs> uh, I, I mean so so uh, granted uh, let me let me let me caveat to my caveat uh insomnia was the the last standalone sort of thing um sometime in 2011 2012 you know like when he finished the entire dark tower i did like a full run through it and also Lots of great moments in that series. Um, uh, did it all come together in the end for me? I, I don't really think so. And and this isn't like the end end where everyone gets like, oh, I hated the end of this. Like, no, that, that end actually worked for me. It's that last book, the build up to that end didn't really work for me. Um, I don't know. Yeah. It, it, it it had its moments, but then it sort of like, I don't know, it, it sort of pulled punches and, and it felt very strange to me. And, um, and not, not to get too far into the dark tower, but one of the things that, that was seemed to me a glaring, um, sort of, uh, a glaring omission in his, uh, his king, his kingiverse, if you will, right? His, his uh, cinematic universe or whatever you want to call it exactly was the fact that it was not included. Like the, whatever the deadlights were and it was, was never really that present in uh, the entirety of the dark tower, which I thought was like, wow, for such a sort of seminal, almost like a capstone book it's it's really absent um but but anyway you let's talk about your your experience uh king for me has been someone who i've been ambivalent toward for the most part at least until uh recently just because oh he's the 800 pound gorilla in uh in horror and um when i started taking my craft seriously you know when i was coming up in ya uh every other book was a a nostalgia laden stephen king throwback and that turned me off of him even more and so uh and so one day i didn't know what to read and i was like fuck it let's give the shining a go and it was really good. <laughs> mm -hmm. uh, obviously. The the so so it's it's funny, um, if I if I can jump in. This book, when I finished, gave me real heavy the shining vibes. We'll touch back on this on this later, mm -hmm. but yeah, yeah. um but but you, but that's basically you know how I came to Steve, you know how I got deeper into Stephen King is I would be uh, in between you know books didn't know what to read and then I just pick one up and uh, 
it it surprised me, and that, that then I'd be like, well, well, let's do one more. And uh, but in my, and I by no means have read everything. I've maybe read 15, <laughs> 15 of his books, if that much. Ty, Ty, in the time that we've been talking here, in the last seven to eight minutes we've been talking here, he's already finished another book. You know, yeah. let, let's face it, we can't keep up. <laughs> um, and it, and, uh, and and so there's the the obviously the the great ones. It's the Shining, Salem's Lot. You know that are magnificent books, but it's his more flawed ones that I've really really find myself thinking about. A lot, and uh, uh, and of course, once he got sober, there got to be more and more of those. And mm-hmm. so, the ones I really love are is like Tommy Knockers, um, Desperation from a Buick Gate, and and you know, and during this phase, when I was just you know starting to trust King as a storyteller, I was like, oh. It's Frankenstein meets uh, uh, Arthur Mackin's Great God Pan. That is my shit. Give it to me. And I hated Revival at first. Just despised it. <laughs> and the thing is, it, it, so much so that I didn't finish it. How, how, but, far, how far in did you get that first time? Literally right before the climactic scene. Mm, okay, um, I can see that. And a couple of years pass, and I keep finding myself thinking about it, and thinking about it, and thinking about it. And you know, as I get older, of course, my memory's gone to hell. I can barely, you know, if I get someone's online name before I get their real name, I'm going to call them by their online name for the rest of their life. <laughs> but I had almost like perfect recall. Of what I read in Revival. And for me, that's a sign of art. It's like like, if if you can make it stick in your head and it still has that emotional resonance that it did when you first encountered it, that's the good shit. And so I was like, okay, maybe Revival is good. (laughs) And and looking back on it, it's, it's like, oh, the reason I didn't like it was because at the time I was wasting my life at a dead end job and it scared the shit out of me so bad that I went back to college and got a different degree. <laughs> mm-hmm. And so as much as I've fought against uh the king influence in my actual you know prose work and uh, storytelling, the dudes had an effect on my life. I, I, yeah, I, I believe it. I believe it. I mean, honestly, like, um, and I, I don't know. I mean, I don't want to say that King was the thing that got me writing, you know, like, uh, but, but he was one of them, you know, like, honestly, I think, um, the, the only misfire that I had during those teenage years and mainly, 
it was a me problem because I was a teenager and you know, you're 15, 14, you think you're going to live forever. You, you have no conception of mortality, really. You, you know, it's there, but hormones tell you otherwise, you know, you're going to live for fucking ever. And I read Pet Cemetery, and that was like, Ooh. I was just like completely unfazed by it. Completely. <laughs> wow. Because that's that's usually that's usually the book this one gets paired with this pet cemetery. Mm -hmm. I mean, I, I I can see where the parallels um, would show up, but it didn't feel uh, like. Honestly, I do not. I do not find the this. I mean, I I see the structural and like the thematic similarities of you know trying to to escape death and yada yada yada. Uh, to me, and and and. Let, let's talk a little bit about this because like for me, even as a teenager reading the shining um, and this is why I, I think this is more a shining type of book because there's a lot of King himself in it and it's King really, really taking and, and casting a very uh, judging eye on his own life more yes. or less. And the shining is full of that, like this self-loathing. He, he knows like, like, you know, Jack Torrance in the shining knows he's a piece of shit. He's aware of it. Uh, he, he still sort of mucks through it and tries to tries his best. His best is nowhere near good enough. Uh, because he's, he's, he's just, he can't get, he can't get himself sober. <laughs> like, like even, even like Jack Torrance, even imagining like drinking phantasmal <laughs> drinks gets him drunk, you know, like he's, he's a serious addict. And that is a through line that runs through this uh, book is the fact that, you know, like the, the, the main character, um, oh shit, Jamie. what is his name? Jamie. Jamie. I was going to say Jacob, but that's his brother. Uh, yeah, Jamie uh, basically later in life basically you know, gets gets hooked on drugs, and it, it's rather. I, I feel like he 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 really makes you feel like just the abjectness of being sort of addicted to something. Yeah, that that really blew my mind in revisiting it. Um. Because in, in my memory, it, Jamie's addiction was like this dark cloud that was over everything that was heavy and weighty, weighty. And it's barely like it's barely what, 50 pages long. Mm -hmm. Yeah, <laughs> that's but but, how well, but it, that's how well but the old casts, man nails it. <laughs> yeah. But I mean, it also casts a shadow on the rest of the book, right? Yes. Yeah, it does. It does. Um, because you, you're sort of waiting for him to, like, because that's, that's sort of like what you're waiting for him to do, right. To just fall back on old ways. And, and it turns out that, that, you know, whatever the, Whatever the uh, the 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 actual cure that uh, shit. What is his name? Uh, Charles Charles Jacobs. It? Charles Charles Jacobs. There we go. Um, uh, initially pastor, uh, initially reverend, then a uh, like a, a, a tent revivalist pastor, and then at the end, uh, just sort of like mad a, scientist. A, yeah, he's just a completely secular uh, fucking weirdo. 
um, talking about secret electricity and shit like that. And uh, uh, the 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 way another book that that this struck me as uh, having some them- thematic resonance to is the fisherman, because Charles Jacobs um, sort of like journey sort of mimics the the journey that the two men and the fisherman go through. Right, this journey of grief. Yes. And, but he is, he is not content with just sort of letting the dead go. Uh, and he, he needs to find a way to make meaning of it. Uh, and, and that sort of like, it's, it's, it's sort of this very almost gothic, uh, sympathetic antihero, right? You, you understand why. Uh, he wants to do these things, but you're also sitting there going like, dude, this is no, <laughs> I, I've, I've read every, like all these stories about like uh, secret knowledge. Yeah. You, you, you should not be, this is a horror mo- novel. You should not be doing any of that stuff. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and, and for the, you know, right before we dig into it, just a, a, a little a, ra- a very rare spo- spoiler warning for the re- uh, for the listener. Uh, this book is worth going into completely blind. Mm-hmm. All Absolutely. Need, all you need to know is it's Stephen King's literary take on Frankenstein meets the Great God Pan. That's all you need to know. Go into it, and uh, and then circle back and listen to this episode, uh, but and get ready to cry your eyes out for. 400 some odd pages. <laughs> uh, so just that little bit at the top. But uh, our setup here is it begins with uh, Jamie. You, Go ahead. you know what? Let, let's let's just, you know what? I just want to read the beginning. All right. Uh, like just maybe the first paragraph or so. Right. And, and get into it. Um, and I, I, I'll point out that the book the book's chapters uh, are feel very much like a throwback to that uh, 19th century, like very much like what I'd see in a 19th century novel, right? Where the, the chapter titles aren't like trying to be quirky. It's just sort of like one, fifth business, Skull Mountain, Peaceable Lake. In one way, at least, our lives really are like movies. The main cast consists of your family and friends. The supporting cast is made up of neighbors, co-workers, teachers, and daily acquaintances. There are also bit players. uh, The supermarket checkout girl with the pretty smile, the friendly bartender at the local watering hole, the guys you work out with at the gym three days a week. And then there are thousands of extras. Those people who flow through every life like water through a sieve, seen once and never again. The teenager browsing graphic novels at Barnes and Noble, the one you had to slip past murmuring, excuse me, in order to get pa- get to the magazines, the woman in the next lane at a stoplight taking a moment to freshen her lipstick, the mother wiping ice cream off her to- toddler's face in, in a roadside restaurant where you stop for a quick bite, the vendor who sold you a bag of peanuts at a baseball game. But sometimes a person who fits none of these categories comes into your life. This is the Joker who pops out of the deck at odd intervals over the years, often during a moment of crisis. In the movies, this sort of character is known as the fifth business, or the change agent. When he turns up in a film, 
You know he's there because the screenwriter put him there. But who is screenwriting our lives? Fate or coincidence? I want to believe it's the latter. I want, I want that with all my heart and soul. When I think of Charles Jacobs, my fifth business, my change agent, my nemesis, I can't bear to believe his presence in my life had anything to do with fate. It would mean that all those terrible things, these horrors, were meant to happen. And that is, if that is so, then there is no such thing as light, and our belief in it is a foolish illusion. If that is so, we live in darkness like animals in a burrow, or ants deep in their hill, and not alone. And you know what? Now that I read that, reread that like that, it it really feels gothic, like a gothic novel, except yes. with a modern voice to it. Yes. Um, because it, it it's sort of like setting up, like it's sort of hook, giving you little hooks to, yeah, th this thing is going to happen. Hold on. I'm going to tell you a little bit about this. <laughs> I, I want to tell you all about this Charles Jacobs guy. But first off, let me tell you about the movies and how our lives are like it. <laughs> <laughs> and then I'm going to say a bunch of ominous shit <laughs> right at the end. Uh, and then, and then we go through the, the entire character's life from uh, childhood to uh, adulthood. Like about, <laughs> about 50, 53 to 54 years of age or something like that. Yes. <laughs> um, and, and I, I love the recurring thing because like, I, I'm not kidding when I say that there's there seems to be a lot of King himself in this, um, like his character Jamie, you know, like uh, makes you know makes friends with Charles Jacobs. Char Charles Jacobs arrives at his town as a new reverend for the town, right? Yes. Uh, and and uh, he's Stephen King did grow up Methodist. Mm -hmm. And and I mean not only that, but like. The fact that, you know, he, he gets into music, he loves rock and roll, uh, like he gets into like this little high school band, uh, you know, like he's a freshman and like a senior decides to, to like, hey, show me what you got, kid. And, uh, and he gets into the band and that sort of like gets him popular and gets him, you know, the girl that he's crushing after and stuff like that. And part of the thing that, that is really fascinating about all this is that it's, it feels very wholesome um, in comparison to a lot of other Kings uh, works that deal with that time period. Right. Well, granted, this is what, like the early to late, I forget if it's early to mid sixties, I believe yes. uh, when we start. So it, it feels very wholesome in comparison to something like it, for instance, where the kids in that book are just like, when you said nostalgia, I winced a little bit because I do, I, I, I will agree with you that yes, King does deploy nostalgia. But one of the things that I feel sets King apart from a lot of his imitators is that he does not sugarcoat like no, the nostalgia is used as a bludgeon to make yes. you think, oh, the good old days. And then he says, oh, yeah, well, how about this? And he shows you like a father that's, you know, borderline sexually abusive to his daughter, you know, like, uh, you know, like a, a poor fat kid getting bullied by, you know, by the school bullies. And they carve they try to carve their initials into his belly like this. These are not the 50s that you get to see in like shows like the wonder years where it's all nice 
Yeah. This, he, he sort of, uh, he sort of, he's not exactly in the same, uh, he's not using the ex- exactly the same language as ser- someone like Lynch's when he's, when he's talking about like the suburban rot, but it's very much in the same stadium, if you will. Right. Oh, definitely. They're playing, they're playing game on this in the same stadium, more or less. Uh, but but anyway, so so th- the reason I say that is because this feels like his childhood, uh, Jamie's childhood feels very wholesome um, and, and sort of like what you'd expect. And it feels very but it also like it feels very much a departure from King's usual stuff, like I was saying, but it also feels like it's a setup, right? It's it's setting you up to, to give you the drop. Absolutely. It's, and um and it feels very authentic and lived in, you know, mm-hmm. in, yeah. in a way that only only Kane can pull off. Uh, because you you still have these things happening at the periphery of the family life that the kid doesn't un- quite understand, and he's trying to make sense of. Mm-hmm. And it, and it just works so beautiful. And then when he, when we jump ahead to like the teenage romance stuff. There's this. He literally just out YA's all of YA. <laughs> <laughs> well, because I mean, let's let's face it. Like his his teenagers are horny. They're 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 sort but, of yeah. flawed. They they mess up. You know, it, it's it. This is not. I mean, uh, it's a it's, it's it's and it's beautiful. Like it's so beautifully done. And there's that that teenage earnestness. You know, mm-hmm. Even though, even though Jamie is is telling this story as an older man, it's like there's still that teenage earnestness burning there, mm-hmm. and it's and it's so beautiful. I mean, and so let, let's let's talk a little bit about what what sort of starts Jamie on his path, right? What why is it so important? Uh, and it is it is his brother Jacob, right? Who who then gets smacked in the throat. Uh, skiing with a friend, uh, his friend like gestured with his ski pole, and he sort of like ran into it, and he like within the course of like a day or two, he goes from like raspy to losing his voice, and then like it's several weeks where he can't speak. Uh, and Charles Jacobs basically um, so so let me let me back up a second because one of the things that Charles Jacobs has as the reverend is like his little youth um, get you know get together place uh, in in the basement of the of the uh, church or whatever uh, and he's sort of made it into this little rec room and he's got like a little electrical things he's he's a tinker and he loves to work with electricity. Uh, and he gives Jamie like this, like basically he shows Jamie, oh, I'm going to show you this really cool thing. And he has like this little, um, was it the the Lake Pleasance or whatever? Uh, he's got like a little, imagine like one of those little train dioramas or whatever, uh, landscapes. And he's uh, painted over a tiny little metal track in the painted lake, the painted surface of the lake, where he can then put his little electric Jesus. And I guess he sort of trundles along with electricity, like uh, the, those old um, those old football uh, games. Oh, yeah, the electronic football games. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And, and so uh, Jacobs is obsessive 
about electricity and basically pulls it into just about everything he's doing, which as someone who grew up in Sunday school and Protestant Sunday school, uh, that would have been a hell of a whole lot more interesting to me as a child than uh, uh, the demented puppet shows we got. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, in, in fairness, uh, like, let's face it, like he, he starts off with, I think, mentioning lightning as being one of the the most powerful things that that humanity can come into contact with and and honestly he's i i can see the the sort of like the lateral thinking happening right because like how many times do we think of lightning as sort of like an act of god right exactly exactly so why wouldn't he be like fascinated with lightning and electricity as a like an offshoot of that right and there's and there's many many verses within scripture where the voice of god or the coming of god is described as with lightning and thunder right right the th thundering voice from a cloud or you know like <laughs> whatever uh yeah it, it doesn't it doesn't take a lot to to really sort of see where he's coming from um but but uh, so what happens is that um when he finds when the the reverend finds out that jacob is like he's been having problems he um he tells he promises jamie that he's gonna he'll fix it he knows how to do it and he when he brings jacob over and they have to sort of cajole him and sort of like because he, he's the older brother like he's jamie's older brother and he's you know like obviously older brother's don't believe their little brothers, you know, whatever, whatever, so on and so forth. Right. Um, but the fact is he gets them over there and uh, the Reverend has built this little contraption. It looks like a little, um, like I, I imagine like a little neck brace with like an electrical contact uh, that, that runs, you know, basically when you, when you, you know, tie it together or strap it in or, or Velcro it together, or whatever. Um, it, it then the electrical contact or conduit runs the length of his, his, uh, trachea. Right. And, uh, he runs a very low level current through it. And, uh, before he s runs the current, you know, to be sure, uh, they, they, they they go back and forth. He's you know, he, they're they're talking about like electroshock therapy. He's like well, electroshock therapy, blah, blah, blah. but he's very careful. The reverend is to tell Jacob that you know basically look, I'm I'm pretty convinced that a lot of this is in your own head, but I'm gonna try and see if I if it isn't, I'm gonna try this out, and you know what? Maybe it'll work. Who knows? Let's see. Um. And he runs the current through it, and within within minutes, like he's you know he gets a glass of water, and he's able to sort of croak out some some words. And he later immediately, you know, like later within a day or so, he's just back to normal. Uh, just the the exuberance of the family is this unabashedly joyful and, and beautiful moment that you normally would not find in a horror well, novel. Well, yeah, but, but before that, let's not forget that the mother and father, like Jamie's mother and father have like a, a serious sort of discussion about like, who, you know, how are they going to pay for treatment of any sort? If he has to exactly. go to the doctor, 
Uh, and, and it goes into like these things that, you know, Jamie fills in as an older person is able to fill in a little bit and say like, yeah, my dad, uh, you know, ran basically a, a heating oil business and like he, he breaks it down that like the, this price season fluctuated <laughs> the price fluctuated and it fucking ruined him and he had, i mean he had to buy because he needs to sell uh otherwise you know he's out of business but the price was still too is still a little too high and it cut too far into his margins and they're really precarious uh and and there's this huge like this big tension that you usually would not get in this type of uh this type of narrative within the larger structure of the novel uh, is, I, you know, it's one of these things that I wish more authors would contend with is just the general, perhaps even distant antagonism of just work. Yes. Yes. It adds such a, uh, a grit and reality and humanity. It feels lived work. in, like it feels real. Yes. Uh, who yes. has not? Who has not been? And and this let's let's be clear here. This is a, an entire novel that is pretty much divide is designed to make you understand that often in life you are given <laughs> a choice between the shittiest option. And the least shittiest option. <laughs> yes, exactly. Like, like, or, or not, not even, uh, not even the least shittiest, or the the shittiest option, and the option that is slightly less shitty than the shittiest option. But that's enough. The about shittier the, option. But that's enough about the twenty twenty four election. <laughs> hey yo. <laughs> <laughs> this Congress is full of clowns. You see. Um, <laughs> And so, you know, everybody's appreciative. Everybody's uh, astounded by this. Uh, Jamie thinks it's a miracle. And uh, the Reverend Jacobs keeps talking him down. It's like, ah, oh, no, no, no. It was psychosomatic. It was psychosomatic. Well, he, he tells him straight up that, like, he did, like, a cold, like, basically cold read him. Uh, because that's, that's exactly what he did. He set him up. He primed, he primed the pump, if you will, by telling him like, I'm pretty sure it's in your head, but you know what? Let's try this out and see if it works. You know, I'm sure it'll work, but either way, you know, whether it's in your head or, or the treatment actually is, and he finds out like Jamie finds out that later he finds out from, I forget if it's from Morty, who's uh, Jacob's kid or uh, somebody else that, maybe his wife i forget uh basically tells him yeah like he just like when he told you he'd fix jacob's you know like being a try to make him speak again like within two minutes he was like making the contraption <laughs> like like he had not he had not invented it beforehand he was making it up on the spot so that you know, like within the the next fifteen minutes, whenever somebody'd show up, he'd be like, "Yep, I got it. Here it is." Uh, and 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 to your earlier point about uh, shades of the Tommyknockers, it, it made me feel like that, like the uh, that that whole idea of the Tommyknockers, the influence of the Tommyknockers, just basically making an entire town like weird, we fucking weirdos that. Uh, just do not have any more. They're completely amoral um, 
in, in in their inventions. Yes, and they just keep making all these random ass gadgets. And uh, oh, yeah, this this will this will power the entire town for for an entire year. Uh, okay, cool. What do I have to do? Oh, you got to plug it into your liver. I'm like what? <laughs> uh, give it. Your, oh yeah. Give eventually, it your, your liver will go- give out, but it'll be a, a good year for everyone else. <laughs> <laughs> and you know, with um, Reverend uh, Reverend Jacobs talking about priming the pump there. This is the first where we start seeing the influence of you know, of King playing around with the idea of religion as carny trick. Mm-hmm. Well, he he tells him straight up that that oh that that was a straight up carny trick you know that I pulled on him. Um, <laughs> Taught it to because, us in seminary. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. That that's exactly what he says. Um, which, which yeah, I think is is. It's sort of, it rings true to you and I, right, as a reader, but there's a little bit of an, there's an element of the profane in Jacobs, right? He's willing to just lay bare um, what, you know, like what would be faith and sort of like corner your faith into the smallest space possible by saying, no, 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 see this, this is electricity. That was a carny trick. This is a, so where's the healing? Right. He doesn't want initially he does not want that. Uh, that that changes later. Uh, but but part of that change is a horrible tragedy that happens to Jacobs. And and uh, here's and here's where we get the, the big turn in the book. Well, and, and let me let me just point out. So this this whole sequence is just it just is a it's such a good thing to point at as how to div- how to build dread because yes. he does not tell you what happens he shows you oh so and so farmer gets into his truck and blow, like into his uh, i forget it's his uh, tiller that's what it is he gets into his tiller and uh you know like he generally he had gotten a a diagnosis that he had he suffered like from seizures but uh, he didn't he wouldn't take his he often didn't take his medication because it would put him off being able to work. So he needed to go till his fields. And he, you know, he basically needs to like like we have here, like basically uh, uh, that farmer's not married. So who the hell's going to do it for him? Right. Well, and and not only that, but like here we, we have we live in, in a rural area and there's farms all over the place. So. The, the 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 two lane uh, rural road is is in fact often you know like you'll see gigantic uh, tra- you know tractors and other you know farm farm vehicles driving just driving along taking up a lane and a half and you have to oh. sort of like slow down and <laughs> get onto here. the shoulder yeah you know, that type of thing yeah yeah, yeah I'm same, sure that same you've here been. we got we got uh, I. From my present location, there are three cotton fields around me. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, he, he starts off with that and then he goes, oh, and the, then uh, Reverend Jacob's uh, wife, Patty, and her son, Morty, get into their car to do this, that, the other. You're like, uh-oh. <laughs> because he, he just sort of like puts two dots on a piece of paper and he lets you immediately like start drawing a connection. You're like, Oh no, these things are connected. (laughs) These things are connected and it's not going to be good. Is it? (laughs) (laughs) 
and it isn't. It, it's 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 horrific. It really it, it is. It really is. And um, uh, you know, st- in comparison, you know, to the you know, post Clive Barker splatterpunk, the descriptions aren't going to you know shake the 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 hardcore extreme horror folks. But dear God, does he make them land? He, I mean, uh, it's. I mean it's, the the. the, the the fact that he holds off because uh, a lot of the description, like you, you do get a little bit of a description of Patty and you do get like, a, like the people that, that see her, she's holding poor little Morty. Who's like two years old at that point or whatever, or is it two or, or no, he's a little older than that. I yeah, think he's like four five like or f- five or six or something like that. Because yeah, they, they like he starts being able to hang around with the other kids and they, they start calling him like tag along Morty because he'll, he'll obviously, you know, just pin himself to any little group of, of kids. Uh, anyway, the, the point is that she's cradling him and they don't really describe him. They describe that basically she's holding him with one arm and that's the only arm she has. Uh, and while she's face. asking for help. Yes, while her, she's asking for help. With her scalp like, missing. Yes, also that. Yes, her scalp is just... like the, This is also like one of these things where it's not really hammered home, but this is prior to seatbelts also. Yes. <laughs> so we find out later that uh, the farmer did in fact have a seizure. Uh, apparently um, was like just laid out in his tractor uh, across the road and Patty was, might've been driving around a curve a little too fast to really react well to basically a complete blockage. Uh, and that is that, uh, we don't get a description of more what happened to poor Morty until Jacobs is told, uh, and he goes down to the to the funeral parlor and he's like basically everyone says i'd never heard a sound come out of a human being like that when jacob sees his son laid out and he's like just basically they just hear him shriek what happened to his face because poor morty's face is missing yes and um and while this is happening, of course, you know, you have the party lines back in those days, so everybody knew everybody else's business. Uh, I guess that's what they did for entertainment, that they couldn't get good TV reception. Mm-hmm. And so you have the usual religious grotesqueries showing up, and literally before Jacobs has a chance to see the wife, see the body of his wife and child, there's a woman there. It's like, well, at least there was there a God in heaven now. Well, I mean, I think it's it's one of those. It's it's not. I don't like like obviously the character is portrayed as as sort of like as especially a vul- like I think she's referred to as a vulture because she yes. likes that type of thing. But it's also like the the sort of like the inane, almost reflexive turning away from from the moment right that most people exactly. do right you're like like oh yeah, your mother like if your mother died somebody's some some dummy's gonna say well you know she's in a better place and you're like yeah, exactly. shut the fuck up dude just <laughs> shut up yeah <laughs> and so much of what we say to people grieving isn't for their sake it's for our own and so that's that statement there is like 
just the vulture trying to convince themselves that um, this out of this, you know, the, the at least there's good within this senseless tragedy. At least they're in heaven in a place of perfect peace and love. Mm-hmm. Right, right, right. Well, because they want to comfort themselves as well, right? They want to comfort exactly. themselves that that's what's waiting for them. Uh, yes. They don't want to think about death. They don't want to think about it. Uh, and, 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 you know, let's face it, you know, like, not many people do. It's 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 understandable, right? Um, and this is where, like, this is the catalyst that sort of sets uh, the reverend on his path for the rest of the book, right? Um, because he has, uh, the, the capital T terrible capital S sermon, uh, that everyone refers to, uh, it's, it's sort of like a weird watermark in the town too. It's exactly like everyone knows, uh, everyone that was, that has lived in that time period knows exactly when the terrible sermon happened. And it also marks like, uh, the the end of a church in that town as well uh you know we find out later on that that no one was able to fill in after jacobs basically uh, had the terrible sermon and was essentially run out of town uh and and again it's it's one of these really great things that the book has where as an anti-hero figure jacobs is correct yes. um like, okay. like he, he is, he is telling, he, he's, as the kids say, he was spitting fire, uh, from the pulpit, but no one wanted to hear it. Exactly. And, um, uh, what the, you know, he opens the sermon by just recounting five random events of senseless violence and terror that, uh, you know, from natural disasters to missionaries being killed. And he lays out a, probably one of the best ways I've seen it done in fiction outside of uh, Dostoevsky and the, the Brothers Karamazov, the the problem of evil, the problem of suffering. And how could there be a just God who lets his cre- creatures suffer? And he lays it out so magnificently and you just see everybody getting more and more wound up and repulsed that that uh this guy would blaspheme like that uh quote-unquote blaspheme mm-hmm. and then in one of the the moments that really hit i missed it the first time i read it really hit home this read one of the guys you know one of the old timers in the town stands up and basically says you know tells reverend jacobs to shut his mouth because his wife was because everybody knows his wife was drinking mm-hmm. the, the day she was driving and once again we see the excuse making oh oh this 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 wasn't actually a a, a random senseless a uh, senseless act that happened to a perfectly normal and good family they brought this on themselves they sinned they shouldn't have been drinking well that it's 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 one of these things that is the sort of like the snake biting its tail of, of faith as known through these types of communities, right? Where if you go and let's say you have, you have cancer, 
you know, and you go to the doctor, they declare you in remission or whatever. You know, you, you have cancer, you, you ask for prayers, blah, blah, blah. You know, everyone prays fervently for, for your cancer to be, you know, defeated or whatever. Um, the doctor pronounces you in remission and let's say a year later, you suddenly it comes back and worse than ever. How many times have you heard the story where the community, because they cannot, you can only ever fail the faith, faith or God can never fail you. Therefore, you have the cancer because your faith wasn't strong enough. Yes. And, and that's, and that's uh, something the, the charismatic prosperity gospel people use all the time to cover their ass. Like there's videos of Kenneth Copeland saying, uh, you can receive your healing and then dramatic falls if you will receive it. And so it puts the onus on these desperate hurting people that if they don't receive their healing to get out of the wheelchair or the cancer or anything like that, then it's their fault, not actually the preacher. Mm -hmm. Right. Right. And, and in this particular time, uh, all the way up into the, uh, uh, I think the last time I was really aware of it was early nineties, maybe, maybe a little longer mm -hmm. than that. Um, mm -hmm. but within these rural faith communities, it's like bad things happen to you because you sinned. Right. And that was God punishing you for that sin. It's, it's a divine ledger book, right? Uh, yes. <laughs> and, and I mean, I, I'm being, I'm being a little flippant, but also like it is that that's yeah. the way that they, they think of it. It's like, well, you did this, so therefore you deserve that. And, and that's all there is to it. And, and part of the, Part of the skill that King uh, deploys here is to sort of almost as if it's a, a, a reporter or a journalist sort of very dryly is describing the events that lead up to this tragedy. Uh, he, he then comes back around to close the loop on the narrative by saying, like, essentially, uh, I believe it's, it's Jamie's dad who tells him, like, yeah. Yeah, there, there's no, there wasn't any, like it's, it was no one's fault. Like yeah, how, how can fault. it be? But people need to find someone to blame. They need to assign blame because once you do that, you can ascribe meaning to a, to an, a meaningless uh, tragedy. Right. Exactly. And, uh, and so the Reverend by, having this incredibly human moment of grief and suffering, he then become, makes himself the target. Right. Well, I mean, uh, in, in fairness, like he's also, you know, like out of his mind with grief. Yes. Um, I believe that Jamie's mom is the one that sort of like breaks the news that essentially breaks the news to him that essentially he, he's got to go. You know, like it's Jamie's mom and dad who who essentially talk him into like stepping down, uh, and and they're not wrong. They're not wrong. Like it, to a certain to a certain degree, um, he he was a little bit out of line uh, within his the the role that the community wanted from him, right? Yes. Uh, and so therefore he cannot. You know, he he is 
he has bruised that trust so badly that they they no longer can trust him, right? Uh, so so he has to go. Um, Absolutely. And it is funny because that that is like like I said, it is the thing that precipitates that eventually the town is without a church. Like the church stands empty for for like a decade. Um, the the uh, uh, in Catholic terms, the uh, the that that act of quote unquote blasphemy deconcentrated deconsecrated the church, and so the spirit left it. Mm, gotcha, <laughs> and, and naturally died a, a, a and died a natural death. <laughs> so so let's jump ahead because uh i mean we we could be here for for as long as it took me to read the book uh going over every bit of minutiae but yes because let, let, let me just pause here and say this is one of king's most beautifully written books oh i i i love it i honestly it's it's it was a breath of fresh air for me in the sense that his style here feels very much uh, th- there's a phrase that that goes throughout the that's repeated several times throughout the book. Uh, it's a musical phrase because he's he's talking about um, wh- when he gets recruited for the band in, high, in the high school band. Uh, basically, the the guy tells him, you know, essentially the roots of rock and rolls are derived from blues, and blues that shit always starts in E. Uh, <laughs> Which, which, if I'm remembering correctly, like it's in musical theory that just sort of shows it's it's like an uncanny note uh, that feels it doesn't feel nice. It feels like loss. Yes. And and the the funny thing is that this if if this whole book isn't essentially the blues, (laughs) (laughs) it's it's kind of a a. on top of you know being a commentary on music, it's also Steve kind of Stephen King looking back on his own bibliography. Mm-hmm. But but not in a not in a flashy way. Uh, not he, yeah, he, not in a flashy or even bitter way. It's just mm-hmm. it's like yeah, it's, I played all that in the key of E. Yeah, yeah, and and so. When we like, let's jump ahead because the next thing, the next big uh, thing is that he meets Jacobs again. This time, uh, basically, he's what uh, in Oklahoma, uh, and Jacobs got like a weird, like he's got a weird act at the fairgrounds where he's able to capture someone's portrait and project it onto a screen. Uh, and they it basically sells the photographs, um, and it does it in all these like fancy clothing and whatnot. Right, right, like like uh, reenactment clothing or something yeah. to that effect. Yeah. yeah. Um, and uh, at that point, like uh, Jamie is already what thirty ish by that point, or get, getting on in, in in years already. Yeah. Uh, and he's already like super hooked on heroin. It, the, the chapter basically opens up with him finding out that he is like pissed himself. Oh, and, 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 and his, so high. yeah, 
And his band has left him a note, uh, much like uh, I, I don't know if this was the, the, the reason, you know, like getting super high, but I wouldn't doubt it. Uh, the, the, the lead singer of Quiet Riot was basically left by his band, <laughs> <laughs> like in more or less the same way. Right. I mean, I don't know if he pissed himself, but like he woke up and they had just left. They left him a note. <laughs> <laughs> Oof. Oof. That, that that that's gotta hurt. <laughs> You're like <laughs> in the middle of fucking nowhere. <laughs> you gotta hoof your way back home. Anyway, so and yeah, so, yeah, he's pissed. And so, what, so what happens here is uh, Jamie is looking to score when he stumbles into that tent and recognizes Reverend Jacobs, mm-hmm. and Jacobs recognizes him. Mm-hmm. He so also. Jay- he also immediately clocks him as being addicted. <laughs> yes, absolutely. And so he, the Reverend gets Jamie back into his, his, you know, his RV and starts helping him sober up, maintaining, you know, his, uh, uh, you know, making sure that he's not jonesing and all that while he's off in a warehouse preparing a contraption to help cure Jamie of his addiction. Which, as a, as a chain smoker, I had to, like, pause and think for a long, hard moment. Even knowing, <laughs> even knowing what was on the other side of that cure, I had to pause a long moment to see, and see if I would actually take the cure or not. And I'm 50-50 either way. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, it, is, it is interesting because he does sort of like um, give him just enough to keep him like on an even keel, but slowly minimizing the doses. And then he, he gets him, he straps him in, gives him the old shock treatment, and uh, turns out it fucking works, man. It really works, except, except that a couple of times within, you know, the, the next couple of weeks, uh, Jamie f- sort of like just finds himself out in the, out in the, the, the yard, basically naked with like a sock. T- he's, he's tied a sock off on his, uh, on his arm and he's jabbing himself with a fork and going like something happened, something happened something 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 happened just over and over again he he finds himself doing that several times um and and not only just in that brief period of time but also later on uh often brought on by some sort of stressor um and but eventually it fades it fades away after a while but we're talking about a while being like a decade or two. Yeah. And, um, and so uh, Jacobs helps Jamie get back up on his feet first by doing the, you know, the music for his little, uh, uh, his, uh, carnival, what was the term he uses? His shy, his carnival shy. Mm-hmm. Then he sets him up with somebody else that Jacobs cured at a recording studio in Colorado. Mm-hmm. And years pass, a decade pass. 
and then we we get into that like weird third sort of section of his life where everything seems to be going well until he finds out i i forget exactly how but i think he he starts keeping tabs on some of the people that jacobs has purported well, to have cured well what happens is they start seeing posters for a uh an old-fashioned gospel tent meeting. Uh, oh, that's right. Revival. That's right. Uh, uh, revival, where the we get the title of the book. Uh, well, I mean, one of the titles. <laughs> one, one of the reasons for the, the title. title. Yeah. One of the meaning. One of the meanings. The most surface meaning. Uh, and that's when Jamie and the owner of the recording studio slash ranch start talking to each other about what oh, Jacobs did for them. That's right. That's right. Because, um, oh shit, what's his name? Is it Hugh? Uh, Hugh follows Jamie and they, they sort of like get into the back rows and they're watching the thing. And Hugh has, instead of having like the weird, uh, jamming a fork into his arm and tying it off, uh, and, and saying like a phrase over and over again, Hugh has like prismatics. He sees like, he sees like, colors and images that flash and he he he's in the tent it's like super hot like jacobs is up on stage you know doing his thing and Hugh just like peace he pieces out and when jamie follows him outside he finds him like basically like hurling (laughs) at his feet and uh he says my dude the prismatics came back and I've never had them be so bad. Everyone there looked like ants, like giant ants, giant humanoid ants. Yes. And the, and and this is where the, the book just is very slowly, very slowly in its own way, starting to ratchet shit up. Yeah. And and, and, yeah, I want to, I want to be clear here that this is, uh, what is it? It's like almost like <laughs> I want to say like 200 plus pages into the book is where it starts to really start to give you the f- the feeling of something supernatural happening. And and yet at, at no point is it ever boring. There is not a single sentence is wasted in this book. I I agree with you, but you know what? Um Ty, remind me in a little bit when we're done here, because I do want to go over some one-star reviews. Oh, yes. <laughs> yes. Yes. Uh, so anyway. Oh, oh, let- oh, oh, oh but uh, one thing I want to add here. Uh, and so not only is Jacobs doing the, the charismatic prosperity gospel healings with his... Uh, you know, his uh, wedding bands that the Lord gave him. Uh, well, one that the Lord gave him. So now he's married to God. Uh, <laughs> he's also doing the old uh, psychic surgery, pulling out the the tumor and it's a chicken liver type thing. And of course, it's, it's glorious because it's Stephen King executing on this. But I wanted to add that the that the Protestants have added even more carny tricks to their repertoire. There's one church that does the most unbelievably hokey water into wine trick. 
Mm. That's uh, that's worth checking out. And I, I cannot remember the name of that church. But then there are churches like Bethel in Redding, California, who will put glitter in the vents of their church so that it's raining glitter during a worship service. And they'll say it's a physical manifestation of the glory of God. Oh, oh okay. <laughs> I mean, so, I, in, and so, in so- I mean, in some fairness, I will say that Jacobs is deploying like chicken livers and like weird, uh, like, like, like you said, like the psychics, the psychic surgery guys or the psychic healing guys or whatever. But the, the difference is that for all intents and purposes, the, the actual electricity thing that he's doing does have an effect. Yeah. So he's, he's more effective than. 100% 100% of charismatic preachers, of uh, good prosperity gospel <laughs> preachers. <laughs> uh, he, he, he simply has to deploy that to give people like a focus, right? Like something that looks like something's happened. Because like yes. if you heal someone that has like an internal problem, like h- how do you see that? You don't. You really don't. Yeah, exactly. And uh, you know, said all that about the, the latest version of that to uh, say that uh, even uh, even when they're doing carny tricks, uh, Christianity is uh, second rate to actual uh, carnies. <laughs> <laughs> so so yeah, so so Hugh is the one that sort of like starts getting under Jamie's skin, and he starts to really begin to. Think about, well, okay, let's, let's take a step back. Let's go back to the people who he's healed. And it's, it's in the thousands, you know, it's not, not a lot of people, you know, statistically speaking, but, um, there are several of them that seem to have been healed, but then have weird after effects. Uh, like Jamie did, like Hugh did, does, um, you know, so, some poor bastard, uh, you know, was was cured. I forget of what he was cured of, but then like they'll they'll find him like just oh he's got a dirt eating habit, you know, like he'll find himself like just chuck you know, like chowing down on the dirt in his backyard in the middle of the night, you know. Uh, the 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 first girl that uh, Jamie sees in the original portraits in Lightning act that he had at the uh, Oklahoma fairgrounds uh, later on basically uh, commit suicide because she has a debilitating kleptomania problem Mm -hmm. because of her her picture being taken. Yes. Because of the, the, the secret electricity, because that that's another thing that um, at, at this point uh, you like, this is one of the, the points where they meet, they see Jacobs, but he is not interacting with them any longer, right? He's become sort of like a part. Uh, but before that, when, when he heals, uh, Jamie, he starts talking about the secret of electricity that, that, that there's something beyond the, uh, electricity that basically humanity can see and perceive something behind it that powers that electricity is actually what uh he's he's sort of channeling and uh that becomes sort of like a an interesting like like it it feels very much like you said like of uh a piece with like 
mad science, you know, Frankenstein, that type of thing. Um, and as they sort of like investigate further, you know, like they, they start keeping a list of the names. The, the, the list gets shorter and shorter as some of the uh, people just basically have weird, very odd uh, accidents, uh, die in very mysterious ways, uh, incomprehensible ways sometimes, uh, that type of thing. And, uh, and, and so that, that sort of sets the stage for like the last act of the book, right? Yep. When Jamie and the last act begins with Jamie, you know, going out to, uh, basically near where he grew up, uh, 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 they start in New York and then go back to Maine, uh, and confronting Jacobs about the after effects of, of taking the cure. And Jacobs, uh, almost in a superhuman sense, knows that Jamie's obsessed and he's going to see this through to the end. And in the logic of a, in the infallible logic of a complete tosser, he explains it all away, justifies it all, and then shows that he still has the upper hand. Hmm. Well, I, I think that this is where Jacobs becomes, uh, even as a very old man, like he's in his 70s at this point, uh, uh, like even as a very old man, um, he starts becoming, he starts shifting from anti-hero to straight up like one, possibly one of the best villains that's, that King has ever written. Yes, uh, Absolutely. It, in part uh, because he 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 can he can sort of figure out like he he is literally using the systems that are at his disposal uh, as well as just simply blocking off other options so that Jamie can only take the one, uh, yep. which which I mean. This is very much like carny mindset, right? You, you eliminate, you, you, you close every door and you give them two, two choices. Uh, and eventually they'll choose the right, the, the one that you want them to choose, right? Yes. Yes. Uh, and um, with Jamie. Oh, good Lord. The thought just died on me there. She's uh, the right one. Give me a second. Future Carlo, you want to cut this? Um, <laughs> I mean, oh, oh, tell, go ahead. Uh, uh, before we, we jump to the end here, because um, it, it's it's kind of hard to situate this particular scene. But after Jamie confronts, you know, as you say, one of King's best villains, and Jamie finds himself absolutely helpless, he then goes back to Maine for a family reunion. And this is quite possibly one of the most beautiful and emotional scenes Stephen King has ever written. Nothing really happens, and yet it feels precisely like coming, like, like a homecoming, right? Yes. It, it really does feel that way. Um, 
because everyone's sort of like, yeah, you know, everyone. So, so you know, it it ha it also is tinged with a little sadness, right? Because everyone's older, you know, everything's everything's sort of moved on. Like at this point, um, you know, this is where Jamie finds out that yes, in fact, that no one's ever, you know, like the the church was eventually you know, like demolished and they built something else over there. Um, I, I forget exactly what, but, um, but it, it has this feeling of passage of time and that life has moved on. It's starting to slip away from you, but you're, there's still some time. And, 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 and being it, at peace with that and yes. enjoy and, and, and actually, and being in that, in moment. that moment yes, yes exactly right being because truly present uh and it, it it really hits home because it, it does feel very much like oh well you know this feels like a goodbye yeah. uh for jamie uh to a certain extent like like structurally speaking as me a reader paying attention to how he's been setting th these things up it feels like jamie's going to like sacrifice himself for a greater good or something to that effect so it has that resonance to me at least that this might be the last time he sees all his family together exactly uh, and, uh, and, and and it i mean it, it does actually end up being that way but in a different way than than we're you know than than you'd expect and even and even knowing that you know as you were saying structurally it's one of those things where you just keep wishing the scene would go on just for a little bit longer just for mm -hmm. a little bit longer even though you know it has to end and it's just oh it's it's, it's magnificent but I, I was listening to that part while i was at the gym and i was just fighting back tears as i was doing deadlifts <laughs> it's okay buddy it's okay you can do it you can you can you can deadlift it um but yeah so so i it also i mean structurally speaking it also feels like he's you know like thematically uh closing a circuit right yep because the 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 story starts in maine and goes through you know like Denver, Oklahoma, Denver, you know, across the country, so on and so forth. And he ends in Maine again to confront Jacobs. He hopes for the last time. Uh, at the place where he first got laid. Yes. Yes, indeed. <laughs> a, a place that Jacobs himself had uh, recommended he go see because uh, – what is it? It's goat mountain. It's the goat. It's the mountain that's the goat, bro. <laughs> uh, goat mountain, uh, which uh, on one on one end, uh, one path uh, leads to like a country club type of place, um, and the other leads to this little cabin, like off off on a corner of the mountain, uh, where overlooking it is like a, a cliff where there's a gigantic. I want to say it's probably like 40, 50 foot tall pole uh, of, you know, metallic pole, steel pole or whatever the fuck it is exactly. And it, it's never explained exactly why it's there or what it was. No clue. It's just <laughs> there. And every time that there's a thunderstorm, 
the poll has not rusted in part because it seems that it's been galvanized by lightning strike after lightning strike. It's had, you know, visited upon itself. So, uh, any, and if any rust were to gain purchase on it, I guess it's blasted to fuck every time a lightning, a lightning, uh, strikes it again. And it's just like, <laughs> fuck this. <laughs> and so what, uh, Going up to the climax here, so it takes place in this cabin where Jacob says, reveals his, his plan that he wants to see what's on the other side. He wants to see uh, his his wife and child to see if they're really in a place of peace and happiness. And so he has, skipping over a lot of details here because... Um, yeah, we, we we could absolutely. we could be here for hours and hours. Yes, yeah. yes. Uh, in fact, I was very close to suggesting uh, Podside do a reading series just on this book. <laughs> but uh, and so they have a person there that they're going to revive, a la Frankenstein. Uh, they're going to die, and then a few minutes later, they're going to revive it with revive them with the lightning to see what's on the other side. And Carlo, what is that place of bliss and eternal happiness? Nothing. There is no peace. (laughs) It It is eternal suffering. To 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 paraphrase a a a somewhat terrible movie that is very enjoyable. uh, ID four. No, no peace. Basically, um, so so. To, to perhaps add a little bit of detail, basically they they unplug the machines that are keeping this um, this woman alive, and he's going to use the secret lightning to revive her. This is the other one of the other reasons this book is called Revival. Uh, he wants to bring her back so that he can see, you know, like basically he wants to peep through the. There, there's a. I think at least two other times, two or three other times throughout the book that they mention that there's a door. It's a, it's a stone door with ivy that's dried up and desiccated. And, uh, beyond the door is the secret that Jacobs is trying to find. And by reviving this woman, he's going to make sure that she's dead and he wants to revive her. And by reviving her, he gets a chance to peer just take a peek through the keyhole of that stone door to see. And what he sees on the other side is that when the woman actually awakens and she starts stirring, essentially reality starts sort of fading and falling away around them. And they see just stairs and cliffs and rocks and just interminable lines of human beings being prodded along these paths by these ant-like beings forever. None of them are at peace. There's no peace. Completely enslaved. Yeah. And and above them are like basically black stars that uh, are not stars as much as they're like basically open maws that that just howl 
And yeah. that, you know, beyond that, that supposedly darkened sky is where the secret electricity and perhaps the creatures who actually power it uh, reside. Um, and the problem is that by cracking the door open even that much, they've let enough space for a a being that they only know is mother capital m uh to to sort of slip into the the recently vacated body that is right next to them and uh you know just a, a pause here before we get back to the the the, the how bleak this is Old Grandpa Horror still has it when it comes to the body horror and uh, just the, the nightmarish imagery. Uh, it, he fucking delivers and spade in this scene. It is just mwah, chef's, chef's kiss. I mean, it. she essentially opens her mouth and a gigantic claw, like a, a, a clawed hand, which at least two of the fingertips sort of like resolve into Jacob's wife and kids' faces. Like yes. their fingertips is like oh so God. it's so gross. It it you know what it reminded me of? Like the the weird transformation that uh Tetsuo does in Akira. Oh. Where it's like just like just waves of flesh that just sort of like they don't have any real form, but they'll take on a form that it just looks like something that, you know, that type of thing, just gross and weird. Uh, It's, it's not, you know, like let, let's, let's face it. You know, he's, he's trying to do a lot. It's not Joe, Joe, Joe Koch's level or anything like that, but it is very good. It is very extremely good. Yeah. And, and packs more of a punch than I was uh, expecting from the old man. Mm-hmm. So, because this, this is my first time actually finishing the book, and so but, but, ja- Jamie, all all Jamie's able to do is basically like just shout no, like a a simple denial of uh, mother, you know, mother's encroachment on our world, and that seems to be close to enough uh, to get him well, that, just enough space well, no, to no, it's his no that gets their attention. Oh, that's true. That's true. Yeah, they paid them no mind until he said no, and then that sent the ants on them. <laughs> you know what? You know what just occurred to me. Uh, it, it I, I, for whatever reason, my 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 accursed mind came up with like just him shouting like Michael Scott, like no, no, <laughs> no, no, no. no. <laughs> <laughs> oh Lord. Oof. That's the uh, that that the that's probably what would have happened in the uh, Mike Flanagan film version. Of that oh God! Happened. Oh my God! No. Uh, yeah, no. Speaking of no. <laughs> and so uh, what we so what we have and so um, Jamie is able to close this door off by essentially just shooting the hell out of everybody, mm-hmm. and and he gets away and survives, and. It turns out everybody who got the cure, the moment when that door was firmly closed, they all went nuts. When mother, I, I when, thought I thought it was when it when mother came through. Yeah, they that's all it. That's sort of, it. yeah, yeah, yeah it, it was it, came it, through. 
it, it does feel like um, sort of like what happened. It, it feels like what happened off stage uh, feels very much like uh, something from like a J horror where like everyone just decided that they were going to like jump off a building or, you know, that type yes. of thing. Yes. Um, because it, 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 you know, it does have that feeling in part because it feels like all of them en masse had, you know, like one, one goal. And it's basically to kill as many people around them and themselves. Yeah. And, um, and uh, Jamie didn't lose his mind uh, for various reasons that are better experienced. But he, he goes to Hawaii to take care of his brother, who was the first cure, who's now in an asylum mm-hmm. and refuses to speak. Well, he had he had had. Um, so uh, I forget where I saw it. Some I, I remember somebody saying like, oh, well, it feels like I, I think it was actually in the it might have been in the that Grady Hendrix um, uh sort of commentary on the book. Somebody in the comments might have been like, uh, might have said this where they were like, well, it feels like he sort of like soft, he pulled, pulled his punch with his brother. But I didn't feel that it was a pulling of the punch as much as his brother was the first and also the least amount of like uh, actual electricity was needed Uh, to heal him. Right. So it it, it becomes proportional. And it was, and it was at his weakest. It was at, Jacobs's weakest. Yes. And so, so it, those and, currents and, weren't nearly as strong. Right. The the current wasn't nearly as strong. Uh he he might have been right that part of it and or the majority of it was in fact psychosomatic. Um so I never felt like it was like him like trying to soften a blow or anything like that. It's just simply like this is I mean, to a certain extent, it, it feels even more sad to me that he just lives near his brother and just so that he can see him every day. Yeah. And um, get therapy from a, a, a therapist who thinks he's nuts. <laughs> right, <laughs> Jamie, right. that is. Yes. Yes. He's, he's convinced that Jamie's had some big problems as well. Um, who, who doesn't believe him when he tells him, like, what he witnessed, right? Yeah. Um, but but that is also one of the things that the the book ends on is the fact the f- like like it's so wild to me that King absolutely took uh, sort of like the atheist view and of like well there's nothing after right and he said no 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 what if it's worse than that. And let's and, run with that idea. And, you know, and Stephen King, he is a, a theist of some kind who does believe in God. And, uh, and when you're dealing with the Abrahamic God, you know, you're, you're hoping for some sort of peaceful afterlife or heaven. Uh, if you're in, uh, at least in Christianity or Judaism, or not Judaism, that's the one that doesn't have heaven, uh, Islam. <laughs> And uh, and that's and he really goes to an incredibly dark and challenging place and saying, yeah, there's no heaven, there's only hell. Whether you've been good or bad, whether you've been righteous or evil, holy or not, 
it does not matter. The only well, thing that you the only thing that you carry with you is the good times you had in this life. Right, right. Well, I mean, I, I, I think it's like I think I took away from it not necessarily that this was a hell, so to speak. In like the traditional sense, it, it is hell-ish for sure. Well, I, I'm, I'm speaking metaphorically there. Oh yeah, no, no, it's, it, that's fine. I, I I took it that way as well, but also like I think my takeaway was simply how unsettling it would be to actually learn that. Okay, so let's say you you don't have any faith, right? And at the very least, you think, well, you know, things. You know, I I had so much pain in my life, so much tragedy, but at the, at the very least, when I when I die, th- that'll be it. I don't have to worry about any of that stuff anymore. And King is pr- just basically saying, "Uh, you sure about that? Because because <laughs> it gets worse." Uh, there is no peace. It turns out no peace. Uh, and like, it, it definitely feels like a type of book that a writer that is well into his old age and sort of thinking a lot about death would write. Especially like, one who doesn't remember great portions of his life. Right. Well, I mean, and that that's uh, that's where I I keep on pointing back to like something like The Shining uh where he this this definitely feels like he's trying to make like it, it the tone of it haha feels like he's trying to atone for <laughs> certain things in his life um whereas, you know, The Shining was just simply him yeah, I'm a piece of shit. This is see this character who's a stand-in for me. He's a piece of shit, just like me. <laughs> and, and, and that's kind of why I think this book is the summa of the of uh, you know the the summa theologica of uh, Stephen King. Uh, in that it, you know, most people you know divorce the pre uh, pre and post sobriety wings of his of his uh, bibliography. And this one kind of brings them all together because mm-hmm. you, you've, got, you've got some of that bleakness from uh, a Buick eight. You have the religious themes from desperation. You have him being the villain from the shining. It's just, it's bleaker than fucking uh, pet cemetery. And he just brings it all into a unified whole. Both well, yeah, the, yeah, yeah. Both the, the pulp and the literary but it, it's it's weird to me because he's not at the end of it all it doesn't feel like he's trying to beat himself up he's no. actually trying to reconcile his like these shattered parts of his life together in like it feels like he's working that out in this book that's and that's the, the there's a, a strange sense of peace throughout the book of how Jamie has accepted his past. Mm-hmm. And, and it, it kind of reminds me of, um, of uh, the prayer that uh, Stephen King prays when he gets up in the morning. Uh, he's like, uh, 
it goes along the lines of, uh, God, I, I can't stay sober unless you help me. Hmm. I, I can't, uh, I can't stay clean unless you help me. And so there's almost like a, a and within that, there's this, uh, we're getting really close to some theological concepts here, uh, a certain sort of resignation and acceptance. Mm-hmm. And, that, and that's kind of reflected in the book because you're right, he's not beating himself up like he was in The Shining. He's just taking a very accurate and objective look at his own life. <laughs> I, I forget which, uh, where I heard this. Uh, I, I just heard it the other day and it, it, it sums that up, right? <laughs> like, like, uh, I saw, oh, it was in Mad Men. I, I saw my funeral and I didn't like the eulogy. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, so yeah, uh, let, let's, let's lighten the mood on the way out, shall we? Because let's uh, read a little, uh, a, a few of these uh, one, one star reviews uh, on, on the pile. perfect. On the perfect and pure uh, reviewing website known only as Goodreads. Go ahead. I'm sorry. What were going to say? Uh, just one last thought to kind of wrap it up on Revival. Uh, I've been an advocate for this book for a long time, and it's the, the one that very few people have read in comparison to the rest of King's Body. And, uh, and I've believe with all my heart that in 200 years now when <laughs> all of us are a distant memory uh, that might show up in a 20 in future 23 and me <laughs> uh the two the two stephen king books that will last those two centuries will be it and revival mm -hmm. i believe you like i it felt very much like a capstone. Like I remember when I was a kid reading it and going like, he could retire. This is it. Yes. <laughs> like, yes. like not, not to, not to, not to make a pun, but like, it felt very much like him going, like just getting it all out of him. Um, I, I was honestly, I was very surprised when he continued writing. <laughs> <laughs> for better Turned, or for worse. Yes. <laughs> For better or for worse. So let's let's uh, let's go ahead and, and and talk a little bit about these one star reviews. Okay, right, cool. so let's go. Uh, nope, not going to finish this. I made it about one third of the way through and was bored out of my mind. So I looked <laughs> at the ending and made the decision that this book was not exciting or interesting or what worth one more minute of my time. Um, oh my god. I read up to page 260 of this book and the whole thing felt like a chore. I'm a big King fan. So I think I was constantly trying to convince myself that I was enjoying it, but I really, really wasn't. It wasn't until my daughter asked me, what's the book about? I looked and thought, I don't know. I couldn't even think of the slightest thing I could use oh to describe God. it because I was so uninterested, probably a bit controversial, but a one star for me, I'm afraid only my opinion oh my and all that crap. Oh, my God. Uh, hold on. Possibly one of the worst books by Stephen King I've ever read. 
The prose in Revival is decent, but I've never picked up a King book, uh, King novel for the prose. I don't even like the horror genre. I read Stephen King for his unique brand of character description and story development. So I trudged through the unusually slow beginning of Revival and was satisfied the story seemed promising. I wish I could say the same about the rest of the book. I could continue. Uh, I'm going to skip to the end. Grim, depressing, and downright stupid. Do yourself a favor and give this book a wide berth. Mm. Uh, absolutely dreadful disappointment of a book. Nice alliteration there, buddy. I kept reading and thinking any page now, something will happen, but it never did. And oh what's more, I did not care. <laughs> All right. I don't know. For someone who doesn't care, that might start awfully talking a lot about it. <laughs> uh, in fairness, I think it's what? Uh, three. Yeah. Three sentences. So it's not, not too bad. There, there's a couple of them that are just very long. It's like, my God, I'm not going to read all that. <laughs> sorry. You know, it's uh, that, that meme, you know, uh, congratulations or sorry that happened. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, that was the sad thing was this was the, the, the lowest selling of, uh, I think since like the nineties, I forget which book, but yeah, it did not do, it did not live up to his usual numbers. Well, I, I would, so I'll say this and, and to, to be fair to some of the people here that are giving him the one stars, I mean, I don't agree with them at all, but oh, but absolutely to not, be, yeah. to be fair with them. Um, this book has a huge ramp to get to the supernatural aspects. Like it is it really, it takes a long time. Uh, there is, but at the same time, there is so much very subtle and, and uh, good character work happening uh, that for me, I'm fine with that. I don't need the monster to jump out at me at page five or whatever, you know? Exactly. Uh, it, and, uh, and I think there was, you know, when your people were pitching, you know, carnival revival tent meeting, uh, Frankenstein meets great God pan. They're expecting a good old pulp adventure. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And this is a literary novel. Well, not only that, but also I would argue that, um, that there is a certain optimism for, for all that, that King is, you know, grandpa horror, all the, you know, all the, the, the monikers and, and, and sort of nicknames that he has and so on and so forth. Um, th there is this feeling of optimism, you know, like the kids in it go through hell, but they beat yes. it, yes. you know, like, uh, I, I, I would argue Carrie's probably along the lines of revival, but not quite as bad. Um, Salem's lot at the very least they survive. Yeah. The, the, uh, the kid and the guy get away. The yeah, they, the they, 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 they cut bait on the whole town and they get away. Um, you know, like, like there, there's lots of, lots of Stephen King stories. I think the, one of the bleakest ones is probably Cujo. Yep. Um, oh yeah, that one's very bleak. Uh, and, and I think it also suffered. Uh, it may it may have suffered a little bit, but it, you know this was also like in the midst of the Stephen King like super duper like that that 
huge upswing where he was just like he could do no wrong, you know. Yeah. Uh, and, and Cujo was one of the books that I believe he has no memory of writing. Yeah, yes, <laughs> that one specifically. <laughs> um, but but at the same time, like there's so many books of Kings that if if the characters don't win, they get a hard one fight or uh you know it it doesn't feel like even even if it's a uh i, I i'm not I'm, i don't know how to pronounce this a, a pyreic victory or whatever yeah pyrrhic victory pyrrhic victory there there we go um you know like like at, at the very least there's a victory there this book really just tells you oh yeah you're gonna lose and then after that that it just keeps you keep on losing after that. So I mean, <laughs> get ready, buddy. Enjoy your life under the sun, because it's all bad after. And it's uh, forever. Yeah. Well, I mean, it, it also, uh, I, I, you know, like one of the things that that comes to mind uh, is that that uh, there's a reason that sometimes they come back. They want to get away from that. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Uh, 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 just as a, as a quick sidebar uh, if you do want a pulpier Stephen King take on the great god Pan uh, there is the story in just the letter and period uh, in the just after sunset collection and it's mm. pretty damn good pretty damn cool. good it's, it's cool. no revival it's no revival though yeah, I mean, uh, shit. Even uh, you, you reminded me. Uh, even the mist, where the movie, the movie is bleaker than the yeah. than the uh, the book. But the book, like the uh, the book, the novella, I should say, uh, is pretty bad. I mean, like it's just like, well, it, we're gonna. I guess we just live in a hell world now. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Uh, keep putting one foot in front of the other and see what uh see what happens. W- what is it? Uh, you know. There are two. I think he ends it. I, I want to say that he ends it with the line. Uh, uh, basically, the, the radio blares out something. And he says it sounds it sounded like something with H in it. The two words that uh, begin with H. One of them is Hartford. <laughs> and, as they're on the road and and they pass under like some gigantic, you know, cosmic horror insectile thing. <laughs> Uh, so so yeah. Even then, like he, the the character is sort of still holding out hope, in part because he's he's also on this road trip with his kiddo. You know, he's he's got to put on a brave face. But uh, but yeah, this one this one says no, <laughs> none no. of that, none of that. No. Anyway, I, I think we should probably wrap it up. Uh, I I know for a fact that I I. Within this period of time that we've already been talking about revival, I probably read easily like 130 pages of it. Yes, and uh, uh, folks, we could have gone on for another five hours discussing yeah. discussing this book. We, we yeah, we we trimmed a lot of like there's a lot of side plots and you know smaller things that it, uh, are included. Is- it's all meat and it is all meat. Yep. We, we, we just stripped it down to the bone because we don't have, we don't have that time. 
Also, I mean, we, we need to have, you know, we're humans and we have bodily functions that we have to attend to. Um, uh, and uh, I haven't taken the cure for my uh, chain smoking yet. Uh-oh. So. <laughs> well, just don't, don't, don't go for the secret electricity tie. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. When, when, the, when you see the checkboxes, you know, the electricity, the secret electricity, leave the secret electricity checkbox unchecked. Yes. <laughs> I will not be enrolling in that. Thank you. <laughs> yes. Um, but yeah, uh, Ty, thanks for, for coming on and, and le- letting me yammer at you and you yammer at me <laughs> about this book. Because honestly, I, I, it's very rare for me to really sort of tear through a book in a, you know, a couple of days. And this was one of those experiences. Uh, and once you started, I was like, fuck it. It's not, it's time for that reread. Mm-hmm. And, well, I mean, uh, I, I, speaking of like a line from the book, Jacob's, you know, you were in fact the Alpha and the Omega, uh, Ty. You were the one who recommended this book. It it sort of like gathered dust on my uh, on my to be read pile for about a year, and then out of the blue, I was just like, "Well, something happened. <laughs> I got to read this now." <laughs> Welcome to the club. I'm, uh, I'm I'm glad you finally checked it out. I was. Really excited for you. <laughs> I, I think probably I think one of the things that probably um, subconsciously prodded me towards it was the fact that I, I'd already read a little Machin and uh, hearing that this was like something that Machin's The Great God Pan had inspired from from King. I think it's even in in one of the um, epigraphs where he's like, the, the great god Pan is still like one of the stories that he he cannot unlock ever. Like he he keeps coming back to it, and it just does not <laughs> ever really reveal itself completely to him. And um, yeah, he gave it one hell of a tribute. No. Well, anyway, uh, Ty, again, thanks, and to everyone out there, thanks again. Go pick up the book, read it, and we'll we'll wait for you here. And catch you next time here on Potside. <laughs>